Welcome to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM. In New York, I'm Amba Gargarian, filling in this week for John Tarleton. I'm John's colleague at the Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot org. And we have a very special guest coming on, so I'm going to jump into things um, pretty shortly. But first, I just want to let people know that we won't be doing any headlines this week in John's absence, but we have a very exciting show planned for everybody. So the following segment will describe some graphic jail conditions and may not be suited for children, just for our listeners out there. The violent and horrendous conditions on Rikers Island have been making headlines in the news again. This is at least in part because the Corrections Officers Benevolent Association, commonly known as COBA, and the three different unions that represent healthcare workers in the city have begun to speak out about how violent um, the hallways are and how and how terrible the conditions are in the past couple months. While some of these horrendous conditions on the island have been exacerbated since the onset of the pandemic, things, as we know, have always been bad on Rikers. And in 2017, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced that the penal colony would be closed down and replaced by four jails in every, sorry, would be, the the mayor announced that the penal colony would be closed down and replaced by four jails in every borough except Staten Island by 2026. The mayor himself has not gone to visit this dangerous situation since this recent outcry um, from COBA and and the uh, the different um, unions that represent the healthcare workers, in addition to decarceral groups that represent um, people who are incarcerated, have begun to speak out since August. The mayor has not gone to visit, but a delegation of 11 state officials did visit um, the island on September 15th, and they reported horrible conditions that basically constitute a humanitarian crisis on the island. And the jail itself is very overcrowded with a population that has surged to more than 6,000 people, which is above pre-pandemic levels. Soon we will be speaking with Cleveland, who's been incarcerated for 28 months. He spent the first year of his sentence on Rikers and then was moved to the Vernon C. Bain Correctional Center, which is in the Bronx, right across from Rikers, shares many of the same conditions and staff, and is commonly called the boat. Now, we should have Cleveland calling in from the boat any second, but as he is calling in from jail and things can't be exactly on time, he may not be ready quite yet. So let me check on on this. So it looks like we are still waiting for Cleveland to join. So I could do a little pitching in the meantime. Obviously, we all love WBAI. WBAI is the only station on the radio that really represents independent media on all of New York City's radio. And how we provide independent, ad-free, non-corporate media is by having donors. And so anything that anybody can give always can help. You can give 
by calling 212-209-2950 or go online to give to the number 2wbai.org. That's 212-209-2950 or online at give the number 2wbai.org. Where else are you going to hear from someone who's on Rikers who's willing to talk with us? And I think we have Cleveland here. Cleveland, are you here? Okay, Cleveland, if you could do your best to speak up just because we do have people listening and I know the phone lines are poor, but um, we're excited to jump into this. So welcome, Cleveland. As I just said, Cleveland's been incarcerated for 28 months. He spent his first year on Rikers and then moved, was just moved right across the bridge to the boat. So the boat shares staff and lots of conditions with Rikers. Um, welcome, Cleveland. It's, it's great to have you here. Absolutely. So first off, just tell us a little bit about some of the conditions that you experience on a day-to-day basis from cleanliness to, um, you know, sort of violence in the halls. Oh, wow. Um, it's not even enough, enough time in a day. Uh, I know. <laughs> we'll work through this. Um, as far as, like, we're not provided with a lot of services. That's, that's actually mandated. It's our right to have. They get violated constantly. So we have a lot of lack of services that we should get five days a week. Sometimes we're lucky to get them two or three days a week um, as far as, like, law library. And some people represent themselves. And if the law library escort officer isn't here or say he has a day off or a sick day or because of short staff, they pull him to help at another post then we are uh, basically not afforded that service. And some of our, some things are time sensitive, so we have to get, you know, like I'm working on a, a case right now, a suit for the state, and it's, it's, it's imperative that I get these services because I have to send things to the court within a certain amount of time, like motions and, and, and you know, amendments and things, you know, things that they ask for, uh, evidence, and this really hurts our case, and it, um, and it causes us to end up losing, actually. It, it hinders us tremendously. Um, another service is, is mail. Um, on top of the law library services, you know, like, say, some of us submit things that we need and we request certain legal material. We won't get it for two or three, four weeks. I got paperwork where I didn't receive it for over a month. Um, the same mm-hmm. thing is with mail. Um, mail, sometimes we, we wait on stuff. That's uh, like I, I try to have my loved ones put a track in them on everything because if they don't, sometimes it just never makes it to me. Other times, mm-hmm. like I said about uh, sending things to court, that's how I communicate with the courts is through the mail. So if I have to send something certified, I have receipts where I've submitted something. It didn't, it didn't go out for three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, the same happens for other people. It's not just me. This is a system problem, systematic problem that goes on. But it's not the, the it's only one male officer. And, not her fault she's a good worker it's just uh, she doesn't have any help she has to have days off sometimes they pull the you know pull them to help with commissary or go to other posts and when they do that we just don't get mail services so it's at least twice a week we might not get services between monday and friday when they're supposed to and and remind people how why it's so imperative that you all have access to the law library and access to ways to represent yourself because Almost everyone's held pre-trial, correct? Absolutely. 
Um, there's a lot of us here, like I've been here 28 months. There's other people here have been four years, three years, and it's it's crazy. They haven't even started their trials yet. Some people are, are hello? Go ahead. Oh, it's not like you had cut off clicking. Um, some people have uh, are literally waiting over eight to ten months just for discovery. Some people have been here for longer than that and still haven't received all of their discovery. So, yeah, having access to law library is is very, um, it's imperative, like we gotta have it, but they just started allowing us to go in person. Now the problem with that is they only allow five of us at a time. So if five of us go today, the other 40 people, 42 people in here do not get to go. They're just SOL basically, and they could submit something, but if they submit a, a law library request slip, they might not get that material back for another three to four weeks. And how is this, Cleveland, how is this, violating your due process um well, how it's, is it's this? A, the, the long the long you have three three years is that legal i mean is this a violation Absolutely of due process definitely not um by law they're supposed to they're supposed to um bring us to trial within six months mm. and, 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 and that violates so many people are way past that way past mm. that we're supposed to get our discovery within a certain amount of time i think they took it all the way down to 15 days now but What's discovery? Eight months for me, and, and they try to use COVID as an excuse. But a lot of us been violated way before COVID even started. Right. And can you just explain to our listeners who might not know what discovery is? Uh, discovery is all of the evidence and the, the the things that they have against you, which you're being charged with, or your accusations. So mm-hmm. a lot of times they don't provide you all of the evidence and things they have because they don't have much of nothing, and. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll play these games to hold you here way beyond, against your will, way beyond the lawful time allotted, allowed. And a lot of people from going through these things that we go through in here, the, the lack of food, the lack of services, the, the, the lack of medical care, the lack of mental health, and just, you know, so many things. It's just so many things they do. I've seen a lot of men snap. A mm-hmm. lot of men lose themselves, and they use these tactics to. A lot of men cop out and plead just to basically, quote unquote, hurry up and get it over with, just so they can get the mm-hmm. hell out of here. And and a lot of men, some of them are not even guilty, but they prefer to just to go on and plead and cop out to get this over with. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about how your due process is violated, but now talk about how just your rights as someone behind bars are being violated, because I think. Some people might have an idea that people are stripped of every right um, once they get locked up, and, and that's that's not the reality. Um, you've mentioned, you know, inedible yeah. food. So how are your what how are your basic rights being violated? Just as as someone who's incarcerated, we have we there's a need for so many things like PPE. Even the officers don't have proper PPE, so we we definitely don't get it all the time. We go without soap sometimes for days, toothpaste, toothbrushes for days, simple, basic necessities. We have mildewed and, and, and stinking and molded shower curtains that we only have sh- seven showers in my unit. There's only two shower curtains because all the rest are so torn and mildewed and disgusting. We've been having them for three months. And things like that, they, we've ordered them over three months ago and we still have yet to receive them. We have simple things like leaky toilets. And because these things constantly leak, people slip and fall and they hurt themselves. And then you have a medical emergency. Now you're walking around with a cane or crutches 
depending on how severely it is, uh, food that is served, a lot of times uh, enough is not adequately afforded to us. And some people don't get to eat or they're not afforded a full, complete tray like all the rest people, like seven or eight of us might not get two or three of the things that came on the tray because it ran out. And a lot of times they don't provide anything extra for us. When they provide food, fruit for us, a lot of times half of the fruit is rotted or have holes all in it from the bugs. Um, mm. That's a big issue. Um, I've had incidents where I've bit into some chili and, and, and bit into gravel rocks. Being a, and another mm. gentleman... Um, and all of these things have been documented and, and reported with border corrections, 311, grievances. And what's crazy is it's sad that the public, it's, I'm glad they're finally hearing about it, but these things have been going on ever since I've been incarcerated. This is nothing mm -hmm. new. So I'm glad it's out finally. Um, another thing is simple stuff like uh, like the gang violence is, is, is extremely because... That's always been going on, and they put different people with different classifications in the same houses, which they're not supposed to do. Somebody mm -hmm. with a high classification is in a house with a low classification. When they, they tricked me into something and, and threw me in a high classification PC house, when I wasn't even supposed to be in a PC house or a high classification house. And, and what's that like? Two days. I'm sorry? What was it like, what was it like being in there? Um, well, I just stayed to myself because I was uh, really, I was injured real bad. And so I stayed in my cell because I was in so much pain. I was forced to walk from one side of the building to the other with the crutches, uh, with the messed up ankle on one foot and a, and a uh, nerve damaged bad leg on the other. And so from doing that long walk, I just laid there. I didn't move for two days and mm. uh, had to get a gurney to get me out of there because I refused to sign paperwork. Um, right. A lot of things that we need, like simple things, like some people aren't as, as fortunate to, for their family to send them like T-shirts and socks. So DOC provides these things, but a lot of times we go a month or two without T-shirts, socks, underwear. Simple, mm -hmm. basic necessities, commissary, Lord. Commissary mm -hmm. is not afforded adequately. Uh, only 50% of the complete list is afforded, and out of that 50% that's afforded, they put limits on things, like one or two bottles of water, which is only like 16 ounces, 16.9 ounce bottles of water that can't last me a whole seven days. I don't drink mm -hmm. out of the sinks because the water is horrible here. A lot of our skin is messed up and, and uh, spotty from the hard water here and, and, and our diet. It's hard to, su to sustain a healthy immune system being here with the food that they serve. I don't think it's even fit for animals. Mm -hmm. And and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the conditions, and then we'll uh, we'll um, you know get get past this really terrible stuff. But I just do want our listeners to you know know what's going on. It's, this is in New York City, and this is happening to people. Well, nobody, no human deserves this, but it's particularly atrocious that that none of, almost none of you have been convicted of anything. Um, so talk a little bit about your experience of first coming into Rikers and the situation with your bed, if you don't mind sharing that, and any other yes, recent um, experience well, you've had going through intake. When I first got arrested, uh, I was gunshot victim, so I was I had shot in the chest, my shoulder, my uh, hand, my legs, uh, well, one leg, I had two bullet holes in it, and I was about three and a half weeks, fresh gunshot wounds, and they, um, they, they chained me to a lot of other guys all together, like a, a chain line, 
and he forced me to walk upstairs, but I couldn't hardly walk at all. Um, I fell. Luckily, the uh, other inmates that was chained to me caught me from behind, and you know I just, you know, persevered through. But that was a lot of pain. I was supposed I was on antibiotics. They kept I had to uh, keep going over and over to the doctor to get my antibiotics because they kept moving me around and they kept stopping my antibiotics. The cell they put me in was disgusting to where I could easily caught an infection. Uh, they didn't let me see medical my first day uh, getting arraigned. I had a lot of pains. I kept pleading with them to see uh, the doctor. Uh, they kept me there for like six, seven hours and then tried to force me right into court and uh, for arraignment. And they refused to let me see the doctor. I finally got attention of a captain or dep, and I told them what happened and everything was going on, and they allowed me to go see the doctor. The doctor gave me two pain pills and sent me and told me, come see them after court. They gave me uh, basically like two ibuprofens and said, come see them after court. Needless to say, I never got to see them again after. And uh, and at the at the time that you were processed, I think you had a, you know, relatively, although that is terrible, you didn't spend too long in intake. So, um, you know, for our yeah. listeners, people get first put into intake cells. They're not supposed to spend you more than 24 hours. Um, I we're going to have one. I stayed, I stayed in so, intake like eight hours. So you stayed in intake eight hours, right? So, but now there's been recent reports of people spending weeks in intake. And Cleveland, you told me during one of our conversations that you actually had to walk through intake recently and you saw some pretty gnarly stuff, some people trying to hurt themselves. Would you mind telling that? Yes, I went to um, like West Facility or Bellevue Hospital, and when I came back, uh, intake was packed. And, 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 and that's my experience on the island. I've been overcrowded, way overcrowded, 30 people in the holding cell when it's peak times for COVID. And two gentlemen um, tried to hang themselves. And I reported this over six months ago because they don't pay attention. And the, the, the lack of the lack of proper you know, care and management could hang yourself and they wouldn't know for hours and sooner, sooner later this is exactly what happened two people tried to hang thank themselves. you for using securus goodbye so that is how uh calls go um when you're talking to someone who's incarcerated they just end you usually have 15 or 20 minutes to call i believe that Cleveland is going to call us back, but um, I'll finish up with a little bit of reporting on on that story. Uh, 11 people have died on Rikers since 2000, uh, sorry, since the beginning of this year, since the onset of 2021, um, many of which were suicides. And that is um, unfortunately not unusual for Rikers. People often commit suicide um, on the island or or after their experiences on the island. Um, But this is is a a very high number, 11 since the onset of the year. So um, we we hopefully we'll be hearing back from Cleveland in one minute to finish up the conversation. Um, checking in on that now. Thank you everybody for bearing with me here. Like I said, this is the reality of being in communication with somebody who is behind bars. Um, visitations are very short, often 15 to 30 minutes. Mail, as Cleveland said, is very difficult and you know the list goes on um i think you know uh 
he was maybe sparing some of our ears, but I will go ahead and say that, you know, uh, some of the guys that I've been talking to on the inside have seen some really insane things. The other day I talked to someone who, while he was taking a nap, um, was thrown uh, uh, a plate of feces in the face. And this is obviously um, all a symptom of the, carceral system that we are living with. Now, I am not sure if Cleveland's going to be able to call back and we sort of need to move on with the show. So, oh, let's see. Cleveland is back. Okay. So we're going to finish up with Cleveland and then we'll move on. Cleveland, are you there? Hello? One moment. Okay. Thank you. Thank you again, everybody for bearing with us on WBAI. Hello, Cleveland, you back? Yes, ma'am. Okay, great. So we only have a couple minutes to wrap up with you, but um, I just wanted to give you uh, a couple moments to say anything you'd like to say, anything you felt like was left out, and uh, and if there's any way that we can support you. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Uh, I want to say, basically, I feel like the city, the state of New York and the city, the people have failed us tremendously. A lot of us are in here that shouldn't be in here. And and a lot of people don't know the torture and the, the horrendous conditions that we really go through. Mental health is a major issue for a lot of inmates. They go a long time without proper care. And a lot of times they'll put a mental patient in a housing unit that they shouldn't belong in and they end up getting hurt. Or, or they end up hurting someone else, and they should be in a different housing unit that can cater to their needs properly. That is a major issue here, as well as mixing different classifications and different people and putting problematic people in certain areas where they shouldn't be. That is a, is a major issue besides all the lack of services. Right. The shortage of staff is, is, is so bad to where if, if, if an officer that's doing, like, a double and into a triple shift, they're so worn out from doing this three or four days in a row. If a fight breaks out, they're too weak to even intervene or to break up anything. A lot of us inmates actually will help the officer or feed the officers, which is crazy, you know, because they're so tired and they're worn out. Sometimes we go days without seeing a captain or a deputy. So, so it's hard to address Cleveland, a lot of issues when you need. We should be wrapping up here, but... Please do. Is there any way that we can support you? Anything that you suggest, you know, people on the outside do? Um, my thing is, is people just to, to like, vote or, and, and, and support us and for us protesting about our situations. They need to be mm-hmm. corrected immediately. Like, it's, 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 it's inhumane and it's very unconstitutional, the stuff that we go through here. And... A lot of us are have nonviolent things, nonviolent charges, mm-hmm. and they have certain people that they keep releasing over and over that are predicates, like armed robbery constantly, five or six times, which is crazy. You have first-time offenders, people like me and others here, who they won't release, even on well, supervised condition release. Cleveland, 
Yes. And we also have people in there who are just in there for parole violations. So thank you so much for speaking with us. Unfortunately, we have to cut it off here. I encourage all of our listeners to look into No New Jails, MAC, other organizations that could help you get in contact with people on the inside. There are people who don't have anyone to talk to. Thank you, Cleveland. Uh, We will talk to you again and, and, and try to, you know, have a peaceful rest of your day. Okay, folks, now we are going to move on. We're going to listen to um, a a portion of a poem spoken, performed by Amiri Baraka. This poem is called Somebody Blew Up America. We have Amiri Baraka with Rob Brown on saxophone, and this was recorded live on February 21st of 2009 at the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. Please enjoy. Somebody blew up America All thinking people oppose terrorism Both domestic and international But one should not be used To cover the other Somebody blew up America They say it's some terrorist, some barbaric Arab in Afghanistan. It wasn't our American terrorists, it wasn't the Klan, or the skinheads, or the them that blows up churches or reincarnates us on death row. It wasn't Trent Lott, or David Duke, or Giuliani, or Shunla, Helms retiring. It wasn't the gonorrhea in costume, the white sheet diseases that have murdered black people, terrorized reason and sanity, most of humanity, as they pleases. They say, who say, who do the saying? Who is them paying? Who tell the lies? Who in disguise? Who had the slaves? Who got the bucks out the bucks? Who got fat from plantations, who genocided Indians, tried to waste the black nation. Who live on Wall Street, the first plantation. Who cut your nuts off, who rape your mind, who lynch your power. Who got the tar, who got the feathers, who had the match, who set the fires. Who killed and hired. Who say they God, still be the devil. Who the biggest only, who the most goodest. Who do Jesus resemble? Who created everything? Who the smartest? Who the greatest? Who the richest? Who say you ugly and they the good lookingest? Who define art? Who define science? Who made the bombs? Who made the guns? Who bought the slaves? Who sold them? Who call you them names? Who say Dama wasn't insane? Who, 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 who? Who stole Puerto Rico? Who stole the Indies, the Philippines, Manhattan, Australia, and the Hebrides? Who forced opium on the Chinese? Who owned them buildings? Who got the money? Who think you funny? Who lock you up? Who owned the papers? Who owned the slave ship? Who run the army? Who was the fake president? Who the ruler? Who the banker? Who the devil on the real side? Who got rich from Armenian genocide? 
the biggest terrorists, who changed the Bible, who kill the most people, who do the most evil, who don't worry about survival, who have the colonies, who stole the most land, who rule the world, who say they're good but only do evil. Who the biggest executioner? Who, 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 who? Who own the oil? Who want more oil? Who told you what you think that later you'll find out is a lie? Who, who? Who found Bin Laden? Maybe they Satan. Who paid the CIA? Who knew the bomb was gonna blow? Who know where the terrorists learned to fly in Florida, in San Diego? Who knew why five Israelis was filming the explosion? Cracking their sides at the notion. Who need fossil fuel when the sun ain't going nowhere? Who make the credit cards? Who get the biggest tax cut? Who walked out of the conference against racism? Who killed Malcolm Kennedy and his brother? Who killed Dr. King? Who would want such a thing? Are they linked to the murder of Lincoln? Who invaded Grenada? Who made money from apartheid? Who keep the Irish a colony? Who overthrew Chile and Nicaragua later? Who killed David Sebeco, Chris Hani, the same ones who killed Biko, Cabral, Neruda, Allende, Che Guevara, Sandino? Who killed Kabila, the ones who wasted Lumumba, Manlane, Betty Shabazz, Princess Di, Ralph Featherstone, Little Bobby? Locked up Mandela, Deruba, Geronimo, Asada, Mumia, Garville, Yasho Hammond, Alfea Sutton. Who killed Huey Newton, Fred Hampton, Medgar Evers, Mikey Smith, Walter Rodney? Was it the ones who tried to poison Fidel? Who tried to keep the Vietnamese oppressed? Who put a price on Lenin's head? Who put the Jews in ovens? And who helped them do it? Who said America first and okay the yellow stars? Ho, ho! Who killed Rosa Luxemburg? Liebnet? Who murdered the Rosenbergs? And all the good people iced, tortured, assassinated, banished? Who got rich from Algeria, Libya, Haiti? Iran, Iraq, Saudi, Kuwait, Lebanon, Syria, Egypt, Jordan, Palestine. Who cut off people's hands in the Congo? Who invented AIDS? Who put the germs in the Indians' blankets? Who thought up the Trail of Tears? Who blew up the Maine and started the Spanish-American War? Who got Sharon back in power? Who backed Batista, Hitler, Bilbo, Chiang Kai-shek? Who, 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 who? Who decided affirmative action had to go? Reconstruction, the New Deal, the New Frontier, the Great Society. Who do Thomas Clarence work for? Who do do come out the colon's mouth? Who know what kind of skeezer is a Condoleezza? Who pay Connolly to be a wooden Negro? Who give genius awards to Homo Locus subsidiary? Who overthrew Nkrumah, Bishop, 
who poisoned Robeson, who tried to put Du Bois in jail, who framed rap Jamil Alamin, who framed the Rosenbergs, Garvey, the Scottsboro Boys, the Hollywood Tent. Who set the Reichstag fire? Who knew the World Trade Center was going to get bombed? Who told 4,000 Israeli workers at the Twin Towers to stay home that day? Why did Sharon stay away? Who, 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 who? Who, who? Explosion of owl, the newspapers say. Devil's face could be seen. Explosion of owl, the newspapers say the devil's face could be seen. Who? 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 Who make money from war? Who make dough from fear and lies? Who want the world like it is? Who want the world to be ruled by imperialism and national oppression and terror, violence and hunger and poverty? Who is the ruler of hell? Who is the ruler of hell? Who is most powerful? Who you know ever seen God? But everybody's seen the devil. That was an abridged version of Somebody Blew Up America, performed by Amiri Baraka with Rob Brown on saxophone in 2009. At the time that Amiri Baraka performed that poem he was the poet poet laureate of new jersey um shortly thereafter he was stripped of the title and was the only person to ever have been so um you might be able to guess why so welcome back to the independent news hour on wbai 99.fm FM in new york i am amba gargarian filling in this week for john tarleton and I'm very excited to introduce another independent contributor, Derek Ludovici. Derek writes for us from time to time, and he's an anthropology professor at Brooklyn College and City College. He received his master's from the American University in Cairo and was in Egypt during the Arab Spring. Derek wrote an amazing op-ed for us in the September issue of The Independent called What I Learned During the Forever Wars. A great read. I highly suggest you can find it in a news box near you or online at independent, that's with a Y, dot org. Derek, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to be here with you. So I'm going to jump right in um, going on uh, the article that you wrote about, you know, being 15 years old when 9-11 happened and there being this disdain in your small town in Pennsylvania that was shared among, you know, all of your colleagues in school and how um, you said you said everyone would sing on the buses, Deo, Deo, the first Afghan royal air show. Hey, Mr. Taliban, hand over bid lot and daylight comes and we bomb your home. I didn't want to sing that because... Um, I just thought it would mess it up, but explain a little bit that vindicative atmosphere you experienced in high school right after the bombs were dropped. Well, yeah, when I remember distinctly in the months following 9-11 um, and right on the onset of the Afghan war, this song would come on. It was like right as the bus was turning onto the road, my school was on. It would come on every morning at the same time. Kids would cheer. 
And there was just this very nationalistic atmosphere that exploded after 9-11 and very jingoistic. Um, and, you know, we were all kids. Like, I knew next to nothing about politics at this time, especially international politics. So when writing the piece, I was just starting to reflect on, you know, what feeling, like the things I heard and was feeling at this time, um, and just sort of how vile it is in reflection to think of, you know, this sort of hatred to towards people that I had known nothing about a month earlier. So what? Um, and, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask what, you know, you, you sort of suggested in the article that you, you were a part of that mindset, you know, I mean, no hate on you, no shade. That's it's understandable. Um, but what made you, what opened your eyes? You said still while you were in high school, you, you transitioned to someone who was anti-war, you know, what radicalized you? Um, I, it's actually, I, it's hard for me to remember what transformed me. I know by the time the war was breaking out, I was very, in, or the war in Iraq was starting. I was very opposed to it. Part of it was, I think, we had to do some assignments in high school where we read opinion pieces for or against the war. Um, and I had come out thinking the against the war articles were better. I don't remember exactly what arguments convinced me 20 years later. Mm -hmm. but, and I also had, like, I was, I was a pretty nerdy kid. I Friends had like a friend handed me like cassettes of Howard Zinn on tape, and I listened to them. And I just started to, you know, become this young little leftist. Um, and the anti-war movement would sort of cement that right. uh, a year, a year or so later. And we fast forward. You've gone through undergrad. You're going to grad school, and you are in Cairo. You know, you're at the American University, an amazing place. You're in Cairo when the Arab Spring happened, when there's hope for revolution. Um, quickly, just because we have some other stuff to get to, explain how that felt and then how it felt when, as you write, the tanks rolled back in and hope was relatively lost. I mean, yeah, it was one of the most hopeful, exciting experiences when the revolutions in Egypt and Tunisia broke out and witnessing them where I was living in Cairo was, you know, one of the most optimistic times in my life. Um, obviously things did not work out uh, when the military took back over. Um, it was very fairly clear that a new wave of, of authoritarianism was rolling. In. Um and at that time, I had just been accepted into a doctoral program in New York. And so I was moving to New York days after the tanks rolled back in. And do you think, and now I know this is all speculative, but do you think from someone who was there really felt the energy that a sexual, successful revolution could have been possible? Or do you think that in the current state of, I don't know, was it in imperialism that that would be just impossible in the middle east i mean i 
like to think that revolution is always possible and a better future is always possible. Um, but, you know, we live, we live and we fight our battles in the world we're in. Um, mm -hmm. Hoping to see that. And uh, lastly, let's touch on, you know, fast forward again, you're a professor and you are teaching uh, Middle Eastern related topics in the international studies programs. And you have some um, vets who are your students. Now explain the experience, the, the sort of experience you saw these vets going through as they learned the backdrop and the context for where they were a few years prior. Yeah, so when I started teaching at CUNY, um, I was 27, um, and I had many students who were about my age who had joined the military and then were going to school afterwards. And I was teaching a class on their spring. And so I feel like partially their experiences generate interest in the class. And talking to them, I mean, I remember one day sitting in the lounge with multiple students who have been in the military. And I just, and like they had all, none of them seemed very gung ho about the war, the military. I was just like, what, well, what was your experience? And one just sort of laughed and was like, oh, it, it sucked. Um, and I felt like, you know, Reflecting at that time, I felt like, you know, these are, these are young, they're mostly young men who, like, you know, I could have made the same decision of that and gone off and then sent to war or uh, stuck on one of the hundreds of military bases throughout the world that the U.S. has and still have found no purpose. So, I mean, I thought it was very interesting getting to know these young men as they had, you know, done, go, joined, got out of the military and were now majoring in international studies, you know, trying to find a career path. Right. With the, with the general sense of loss. Um, well, Derek, we have about 30 more seconds, but could you suggest to me, to our listeners, what readings, who to, who to read or what to read as far as sort of, you know, context for the Middle East and, and where we are now goes. I think um, a lot of uh, Afghans, other Middle Easterners, Middle Eastern Americans are afraid that the media is just going to move on. So how can we stay informed? Um. Oh, I, I mean, that's a huge... I know, topic. it's a big question. Um, what what news <laughs> sources do you suggest, shall I say? I, I tend to read, um, for, for Egypt-related stuff, there's Matamas, which is the, really one of the only independent news sources left in Egypt, and it's both in English and Arabic. Um, and yeah, I would just suggest going to these independent media sources mm -hmm. in these different countries that you want to get to know and actually learn from the journalists who are working in their home countries. 
Right. Independent media. Hooray. That's what we're doing right now. Thank you so much, Derek, for joining us. Everybody go read that article in the recent issue of the Indie. And we are going to go into a musical break and we'll be back with more. You are listening to the Independent News Hour. I am Amba Gergarian filling in for John Tarleton. And that was Alap for Persharam by Free Planet Radio. That song was conducted by Elliot Wadopian. And uh, he was an amazing bass player who just lost his life. And I would like to dedicate that song to my dad, River Gergarian, because that was his best friend. And I just would like to dedicate it to anybody else who is going through loss or has recently. And now moving on to our third guest, who I'm very excited about, my good friend, an amazing organizer, um, ex-person who is detained by ICE, Marcial Morales. Marcial, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you for having me. Yes, welcome. So Marcial quickly was um, spent... How long did you spend? Two years in ICE detention? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, the last past two years in ICE detention and uh, definitely got released. He spent two years in ICE detention and was at wit's end and brave enough to start a hunger strike while he was in ICE detention in New Jersey um, at Bergen County Jail and was released um, on hunger strike because of a variety of reasons, but also how frail of a condition he was in. And and after Marcial went on strike and was released, a wave of hunger strikes, which are still happening, have um, been, been going on in New Jersey and beyond. Um, guys have been on strike for 40 days, long time. And, and Marcial has had a really big part in communicating with them from the outside since he's been released and helping lead these hunger strikes and inform people about how to how to do that, how to be on strike, what your rights are. So we're so happy to have you here. Um, let's start out, Marcial, by you talking just a little bit about what it was like organizing in detention, organizing a hunger strike, and then how it's been organizing them or helping to organize them on the outside now that you're out. Well, the out, when I was inside, it was a little easier because I was there. I was doing it with them. I was encouraging them to, you know, to fight for their rights. And um, now doing it from the outside is a little hard because it's just the phone and um, they, uh, well, the, these officers on this uh, detention center, they attack them really brutal, trying to make them quick the hunger strike or try to like uh make them to lose like the hope to get released so it's, it has been hard but 
I'm so happy that uh, quite a few of them got back to their families. I'm so happy for that. Mm-hmm. And what was the longest you saw somebody go without or spoke with someone who was going without food? Uh, for uh, three months, three right. months straight. Uh, mm-hmm. This guy that he wasn't able to walk and um, he had to start eating because uh, one, uh, he was first a hunger strike in, in Bergen County. And then he was transferred to uh, to Crown, Miami, and uh, I took him for a court day. They give him a court day, and the judge ordered that he had to eat. Other than that, they were they were gonna like force feed him, so he had to eat after three months. Right. And speaking of Miami, um, let's backtrack a little bit. So, Marcial was in detention in Bergen County jail that's in new jersey there are no people in detention in new york city there's a law about that we don't have detention centers around here jails that have contracts with ice so people are either sent upstate to buffalo or they're sent across the river to jersey so they're sent to bergen county jail which has a contract with ice hudson county jail which has a contract with ice or they used to be sent to essex county jail which has a contract with ice as well now essex county jail recently ended their contract with ice after a lot of public pressure to do so. And the organizing really of people like Marcial had a huge part in that. And and when they closed down detention at Essex County Jail, they um, didn't have to do this, but they instead of releasing people with ankle bracelets, they transferred everybody out um, to places like Miami, like Buffalo. So tell us about the guys who have been transferred to Miami and what they're doing now. Well, they call me almost every day. They are like hopeless uh, up there because uh, this, uh, these places are out of nowhere. Maybe if you don't know them, you just go down Google and go and see those places are out of nowhere. They're like kind of scared to fight these cases. Some of them just gave up and said, okay, deport me. And a few of them are doing a hunger strike. They are hunger strike right now in Gladys. And... Um, I heard they're gonna start one in um, in um, in Chrome too. So where's that's Chrome? The, it's in uh, Miami too. Okay, and so tell us how many people started the strike in Gladys, in Miami. Well, the last last time I had uh, the was like uh, started like six of them, and okay. right now I think I only have like two or three left i haven't had the update for the past two dates but was like two or three left um the hunger strike the start in gladys and um now in miami there is no one but I, I, they have uh, some um some rumors they will start another one up there because uh, the system right now is designed to make them they lose their uh, their cases there is no way for them to get out unless they start fighting back yeah i know it's not a legal strategy but it's it, it can release you. You get released uh, doing that. I got released myself, and I told them, you know, if I got released, you can get released too. But it's hard. It's hard. You have to understand that when you do that, you just put your life on the limbo. You don't yeah. know that if you're going to die, you're going to survive. Myself, for example, I make the decision, or or they release me alive or dead, but I, I have to get out of here. And thank God it worked for me and thank for God. my other people too. 
Yeah. And uh, and we have you said uh, there are some guys who got transferred from Essex up to Buffalo, which you know also I mean Miami is obviously very far from family and support, but Buffalo is also far from family and support. Not many people can go take the bus to Buffalo to visit their loved one. Um, but you said they were they're doing a, a hunger strike up there too, and uh, you've had some recent problem with trying to get in touch with some of them who've been on strike, right? Can you explain that? Yes, uh, well, again, I use one of them. He, I was in contact constantly with him, telling him what to do, what they cannot do to him. And apparently they blocked the, the communication between me and him. So now I'm not allowed to talk to him. And this is the way they do now. They try to cut the communication from the outsiders because they know now that we are encouraged them to do, you know, what they what they have to do, it will work. Definitely, it will work. They don't want a dead body in their uh, installation. So, but now they are cutting the communication. So they are not allowed to make calls or send message on the tablet. Whoever goes on hunger strike, so it's, it's making it even harder for them. And Marcial has had this experience a lot of, you know, jails, different jails in different states and different counties blocking his number because they know that he's helping people. Um, obviously, this is not constitutional. Now, Marcel, we, we need to wrap it up in about a minute, but, but, you know, sometimes people get released like you, sometimes people are transferred to places like Miami or Arkansas and lose hope and, um, you know, off, go back to their country, take the deportation order. Sometimes people don't take the order and they're deported anyway. And um, I know this is tough to talk about, but you recently had a friend who was deported to Guatemala. And just so people understand the gravity of the situation, could you tell us what happened when he was deported to Guatemala? Yes, I had. Uh, well, I was I, I was in detention with this guy and he said, no, I'm just going to go back to Guatemala and maybe come back or just go live my life. Uh, uh, four months later, he got killed. Then my other friend who I used to work with him before I got arrested, got deported to. And um, months later, he got he got killed. So it's, it's hard for like take the decision to go back to our country because we don't know what was going to happen to us. And so many of them has been the last decision, go back to their country, never come back. They got killed. It's, it's hard to, you know, to talk now to their families, their kids, and we know they're, they're, they're dead. It's very hard for me, but, you know, it's very unfortunately that we cannot do much about it, you know? Yeah, well... We could support people like you. Um, thank you so much, Marcial, for speaking with us. I would love to have you back on again, and, and I hope you have um, a decent rest of your day. Thank you so much for having me. Have a nice day. Okay, you, you too. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. That wraps it up for this hour. Thank you to Cleveland, to Derek, to Marcial, to Reggie, our audio engineer, um, and to all of our listeners. If you would like to donate again, that number is 212-209-2950 or go online to give the number two WBAI.org. And I will leave you with John Coltrane's I'm Old Fashioned. Enjoy. Enjoy.